Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to Dry Hanky Day at the Newsbusters podcast as they announced TBS is canceling Full Frontal with Sam B, which has at times been inaccurately portrayed as a comedy program. This is an obvious twofer since Warner Brothers Discovery can ditch a low-rated show and also brand itself as less obsessively, hyperbolically leftist. I mean, this is TBS isn't CNN, but the principle's the same if they wanted to rebrand themselves as not being some sort of anti-Trump crusading set of companies. There is more to come. But let's focus on how maddening these Sunday interview shows were. NBC News announced to us in advance that Al Gore was going on national television to engage in a very demeaning act of mudslinging. He said climate deniers are like the cops who sat around and watched kids get shot at Uvalde. We'll we'll run the clip, but I just want you to try to take in the magnitude of how malignant that is. You know, the climate deniers... uh uh, are really in some ways similar to all of those uh, almost 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde, Texas, who were waiting outside an unlocked door uh, while the children were being massacred. They heard the screams, they heard the gunshots, and uh, nobody stepped forward. And God bless those families who've suffered so much. And law enforcement officials tell us that's not typical of what Uh, law enforcement usually does. And confronted with this global emergency, what we're doing with our inaction and failing to walk through the door and stop the killing uh, is not typical of what we are capable of as human beings. We do have the solution. My first question as a media critic, as it often is with interviewees, is how does the interviewer react to a statement like this? Would Chuck Todd just sit idly by and imply by his silence that this was fair comment? That everyone who disagrees with Al Gore is exactly like people who wouldn't stop the shooting of 19 grade school children? The idea that NBC was promoting this smear as must-see TV tells you what is going on. What's going on is that Meet the Press is a joke of a program. Al Gore isn't meeting the press. Like, wow, he's going to be pressed and probed. No, it's more like Al Gore caressed and fondled by the press. Now, when Chuck Todd doesn't like what he's hearing, he will interrupt. If you accuse him of showing a liberal bias, he erupts in anger. Ask Ron Johnson. But here he just lets Al Gore smear conservatives for a full minute without interruption like he's some sort of precious climate televangelist. Preach, Brother Al, preach! This is what he said. And I think these extreme events that are getting steadily worse and more severe are really beginning to change minds. We have to have uh, unity as a nation to come together and stop making this a political football. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. I cannot stand the smug sound of this man. 
I think I can tell you if I was sitting in the studio next to Al Gore when he uncorked that, he would get the full blast from me. That's for sure. But Chuck did not even break in when Gore preposterously said, we have to have unity in the nation and stop making this a political football. He just threw his political football in the groin of conservatives like we were Ray Nitschke in the longest yard, and then he gets to talk about unity? But this is the sound of authoritarian bullying. Gore insists that on climate, everyone bow to him and St. Greta of Cartoonburg when it comes to saving the planet. Al Gore runs around being upset that we haven't already banned the automobile. You know, you remember back in Earth in the Balance, he said we, were, we needed to end the internal combustion engine. How do you say we're going to end fossil fuels in 10 years? This is, I mean, or that we're all going to die in eight years unless you do everything Al Gore tells you to do. That, my friends, is authoritarian bullying. They always say Trump's an authoritarian bully. Well, the United Nations and Al Gore and all of these people who want to tell you that you have to take a boat to Hawaii or whatever they're trying to say, we should all ride bicycles. That is authoritarianism. Gore complained democracy is broken. Yeah, because democracy is broken when he loses. Democracy is supposed to lay prostrate on the cobblestones and let Al Gore have his way. So let's hear what Chuck Todd actually said in reply to what Gore said. You know, it's interesting. Public sentiment uh, on climate is is certainly, uh, in some ways, growing more urgent. And you've made notice that rank-and-file Republicans uh, are growing more concerned about the climate. But, you know, public opinion is on one side on abortion, is on one side on guns, is on one side on climate, and yet you see that it hasn't mattered to some of the decisions that are made in our politics. How do you how do you break through this? Fact check, please. Public opinion is not on one side on abortion, Chuck. It is not on one side on guns. It is not on one side on climate. That's three false statements in a row. You strike out. You stole fizzy lifting drinks and you get nothing. Oh, anyway, no, now I'm getting carried away. All Al Gore gets here for a question is how do you break through? Well, apparently he's supposed to break through by doing suck-up interviews on NBC. Then to complete the massage, Chuck Todd asked Gore, why not run for president on the climate issue? And, that, and, and you talked about in order to get that political will, um, Jay Inslee tried to run a climate-focused campaign and it didn't get off the ground. Why not you, Al Gore? Why not me uh, leading a climate uh, a change candidate? presidential campaign in the future? Oh, well, thank you for uh, making the suggestion. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a recovering politician, and the longer I go without a relapse, the less likely one becomes. But the idea of you, climate change and making it the issue, would you like to see more presidential candidates do it? Absolutely. So Chuck Todd will admit that Jay Inslee tried to run on climate and he went absolutely nowhere and then says, hey, why don't you try it, Mr. Gore? 
Al Gore also went on ABC and somehow failed to thrill them with the Uvalde smears over there. Don't know why that didn't happen. But Jonathan Carl was actually pressing Gore from the left. Yes, we're never going far enough to the left. Carl said, we've heard from President Biden. He's called climate change an emergency. He's called it a clear and present danger, but he stopped short of declaring a national emergency. What is your sense? Is it time for the president to declare that climate change is a national emergency? See, that's, that's, that's called pressure. That's called the tough question. The tough question is saying, Al Gore, has Biden been enough like you yet? Why hasn't he been enough like you? And Gore repeated his talking point. Mother Nature has already declared it a global emergency. Carl then, you know, it complains about the current state of play. The front line going into the midterms is rising gas prices, part of it due to the war in Ukraine. Biden's encouraged the Saudis to produce more oil. He's talked about expanding domestic oil production, getting more offshore oil drilling. You can understand why he's doing this. They're desperate to get gas prices down. But isn't this counterproductive in terms of the climate agenda? That's right. John Carl is saying, we think gas prices going down is terrible. He's pressing Al Gore to say, being desperate to get gas prices down is wrong. And Al Gore just says, we need to avoid confusing the short term with the long term. Oh, yes. Al Gore is interested in the long term. That's why he's got a mansion that burns fossil fuels, flies all over the country like John Kerry. All of these people are dramatic hypocrites. And you know Chuck Todd or John Carl's not going to ask them about being climate hypocrites. And he's not going to say, hey, why don't we just send gas prices to 7 or $8 a gallon? Wouldn't that be good for your agenda? This is the whole problem with the news media on climate. I mean, frankly, I'm going to say what I always say. If you think that, that using carbon or using electric power is a terrible thing, shut down your TV network. Stop being hypocrites by broadcasting through an electric device. But the problem with these people is they're convinced there's only one side on climate. And it's not just one side on whether you uh, believe the planet is warming. No, no, no. You could, let's say the conservatives concede is, yes, we believe the climate is warming. Oh, and we'll concede that maybe human activity has something to do with it. Let's say you go that far. Then you go to the next thing, which is, shouldn't we all, you know, ban gas vehicles? Now, they, they'll all say, when the, when the Green New Deal comes out with a bunch of kooky ideas, they'll go, well, that's, that's not actual legislative language. They all, the fact checkers all jump up and say, oh, blah, blah, blah. John Carl apparently wants a Green New Deal because he doesn't want the Democrats to win anymore. Because I think, I swear, if you put all this to the people and say, hey, guess what? You can't mow your lawn. You can't grill. You can't heat your home with a gas fireplace or use a gas range. I mean, just imagine what they'd really want to do. That's how bad it is. That's how severe the climate crisis is. When you start declaring something an emergency, let's start putting on the table what you really want to do. And Chuck Todd and John Carl think that under Trump, they were the brave, you know, journalists pressing for answers. And here, what are they doing now? They are Democratic Party talking point managers. And if they're doing, if they're pressing anybody, it's 
Mr. Gore, why isn't Biden more like you? Then there were the Liz Cheney interviews. Oh, <laughs> Jake Tapper on CNN State of the Union gave exactly the kind of interview we've seen for weeks now. The January 6th committee members fan out among the Sunday shows, and the questions are mostly what you would call facilitating. Who would you like to interview next? Explain to us what crimes did Trump commit? What do you think about Bannon being held in contempt of Congress? How awesome have you been so far? I mean, this is sort of perfect for Jake Tapper who very publicly proclaimed he wouldn't have any Trump-backing Republicans on his show because he can't stand the lies, and there's no point. And, of course, that's not the way for, like, James Clapper, who can lie to Congress. He's not held in contempt. He's not going to prison. He got a job at CNN. And yet they're pompous about contempt of Congress. But it's natural that this January 6th committee energy would match his emotional state perfectly. And that is, we've decided we are the forces of truth and decency and democracy, and we will treat our fellow soldiers in this crusade with great kindness and restraint. So this is what Liz Cheney got on CNN. It's what Elaine Luria got again on Meet the Press. Actually, there was one interesting question on Meet the Press. And that is where Chuck Todd was asking why somebody got to be anonymous. You'll remember that there was this affecting tale of how Trump's or how Mike Pence's Secret Service detail were trying to contact their family members in case they were, you know, they were in grave danger there on the hill from the from the the rioters. Um, This was very emotional. And the teller of the tale was anonymous. And so Chuck Todd was sort of like, well, I'm sure some of these other people like uh, Cassidy Hutchinson would have liked to remain anonymous. He said, the problem here is that uh, when you use an anonymous source, people tend to not believe them as much. Well, that's that's accurate. Good for you. But, uh, you know, I think there's sort of an obvious answer here. And that is, why is this White House official who appears, you know, well, we're through a speaker, so, you know, trying to alter his voice. Why do they get to be anonymous? My guess is because they're still at the White House. They work for Biden now. And whether they're a political appointee or whether they're just a, a, a lifer or somebody, something, a non-political appointee, you know, a regular public servant, you got to guess that's why that person gets to be anonymous. But yes, when something packs more of an emotional punch like that, you do get to be a little skeptical that they get to remain anonymous. Anyway, back to this whole idea of how generally the Liz Cheney's of the world get kissy-kissy. So uh, after all of the kissy-kissy committee questions, Tapper's like, let's go for a break. And then now we're going to talk about Liz's political career. And, you know, to me, uh, they, they talked about how basically Liz is doomed. If you look at the polls, she's down about 20 points. And now this is becoming a profile and courage moment. They're not going to try to suggest that somehow she's going to win. Uh, but they are trying to suggest that, you know, it, basically the, the evil side is winning and she looks good. It's a moral victory for Liz Cheney. And then, of course, 
He has to put on top of that, gee, maybe she should run for president. You've made it very clear you don't think Donald Trump should ever be trusted with the presidency again. Are you willing to run for president uh, to try to stop him, at least in part? Yeah, this is a little like Chuck Todd pressing Al Gore to run for president. It's actually more of a compliment than a question. I mean, what on earth makes Jake Tapper think Liz Cheney has a chance to win a primary after being shellacked in Wyoming? You know, we've just been talking about how the MAGA candidate won the GOP primary in Maryland. What state is Liz Cheney going to win when she runs? You know, if Mike Pence gets in, Mike Pence is going to get the energy Liz Cheney would get. But it, this is just one of those things where they, the Democrats always want to tell the Republicans who they think should run. This has all the energy, Jake Tapper's question, of the way they treated the whole idea of Colin Powell running for president a couple of decades ago. And I think it was Howard Feynman who suggested, well, we want a Republican we can work with. Mm-hmm. The liberal media is always looking for a Republican they find to be mm, cooperative. And Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger have been the very model of what they want. They're cooperative. They give us what we want. They can be Republicans in name, but they're actually owned by the liberal media. I mean, this, this to me was when Liz Cheney was interviewed by Brett Baer on Fox. Uh, you got to single this question out. This was not a softball. Baer asked Liz about Hunter Biden and the family buckraking in China, and the answer was priceless. She was like, what? I'm sorry. I'm too obsessed with the last president to take five minutes to look at what the Bidens are doing. I mean, this is what a liberal me media pleaser says. I'm obsessed with Trump. I'm not focusing on who's president now. It's too important to prevent Trump from being president again to give one wit about what the president and his family are doing now with America's number one enemy. I mean, that's just bizarre. So good for Brett Baer. One last point. On Sunday's reliably liberal, reliable sources... Yeah, Brian Stelter did the whole Fox bashing thing. How dare Fox not run the primetime hearing? Of course, Stelter isn't happy that Fox News didn't run the hearings live. It doesn't matter that it ran on Fox Business. It doesn't matter that you can find it in 37 places. There must be 38. It's like your ticket to be considered news media. You must cover the Democrat hearing. This will not be the case. In 2023, if the Republicans take the House or the Senate, or both, Brian Stelter will never suggest that it's it's considered you know essential for you to cover a Republican hearing live. Certainly not a Republican primetime hearing live. Do you think that the Republicans were like, and now we're going to go to primetime, have a primetime hearing on Hunter and Joe Biden in China? You think any of these people would think for two seconds about carrying that live? They would laugh in your face. Also on the show, David Zurowick, who's always, you know, frothing about Trump, said the hearings were brilliant and a masterpiece. Yes, this is in the th same vein as Thursday night's Late Show on CBS. Stephen Colbert brought on Chris Hayes of MSNBC 
Because who can tell the difference between Colbert and an MSNBC show? This was a live show after the primetime hearing. So Colbert devoted 45 minutes of additional fawning to the committee. Uh, this was the clip. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted out this video and it was became very popular on Sunday. This is what Colbert and Chris Hayes were saying. What has most surprised you? Is there anything about that surprised you most about the last eight hearings? Well, I think, I mean, I, the, the sheer amount of new information they have uncovered is genuinely remarkable. And I mean, how they've given it to us. That is the other, that was exactly what I was just going to say. It is, as a uh, television practitioner, Yeah. Uh, it has been a tour de force of production. I think I mean, it's going to change how any congressional hearing absolutely. is held to a standard because the, you know, the, the circus that usually happens is no longer going to be seen as entertainment. This is actually informative and interesting. Yes, although the precondition, the necessary, and I agree, but the necessary precondition for that is that you have a unanimity of purpose among the members of the committee across party lines to get to the bottom of what happened and to present their case to the American public. That is usually not the case. Right. If, you, if Jim Jordan were up there in his shirt sleeves, right. you know, and, uh, you know it, and everything is broken down in majority time, minority time, res, you know, response rebuttal, you can't do what they're doing. I think that is proof that Kevin McCarthy does not deserve to be speaker because he doesn't understand politics well <laughs> enough to know what his own game was. It's a tour de force. It's great TV. It's informative and entertaining. It has no rebuttal whatsoever. It's a model for all future hearings. This just tells you what the Colbert's and the Chris Hayes's and the Brian Stelters think. And that is the ideal hearing is one where everybody hates the subject of the hearing and will not countenance anybody who doesn't hate the subject of the hearing being allowed to ask any questions at the hearings. That's the model. Now, let's again, let's imagine, let's turn this around. It's 2023. The House has a special committee. Well, let's just let's just imagine they have they keep the House January 6th committee with five Republicans and two Democrats who do everything Fox News wants them to do. Now, you probably won't be able to find those two Democrats, but, you know, just just play with me here for a minute. So. They decide we're going to have we're going to continue the January 6th committee. And what this committee is going to evaluate is Nancy Pelosi's failures. And we're going to devote two years to investigating Nancy Pelosi's failures. And Mayor Bowser's failures. I mean, that would be seen as a blatantly partisan and political committee. And then we'd say, and yours was What? Again, there's a lot of things that you could say that these hearings have brought out. Certainly the last primetime hearing brought out some things. But that doesn't justify the way that these people ran these hearings. And to call them brilliant and a masterpiece and the role model for all future congressional hearings, what you're basically saying there is we think all congressional hearings should be Democrat National Committee propaganda hearings. Just imagine the McCarthy hearings. You know the way that they always got very upset that anybody was asking about communists in the federal government. Now just imagine if the McCarthy committee said, no, 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 we're going to only pick the witnesses we want. We're not allowing anybody on here who doesn't agree with our mission 
of getting the communists thrown out of the government. I mean, you know the left. They, they still hate the McCarthy hearings. It doesn't even matter about the truth of communists in the federal government. They'll still pretend that there aren't any. And then they'll lecture us about how they're the people for truth and decency. But keep an eye on this ball. Because these people are going to try to take January 6th all the way to the midterms. And then they're really going to aggressively try to take January 6th into the into the 2024 race and even if donald trump doesn't run you know even i i mean i i think we can predict let's say mike pence runs on some level they're still going to hold him accountable for daring to actually be on the ticket with this guy it would it will ultimately become a negative he's sort of a, a liz cheney style hero now give it time because these networks are stuffed full of democrats who act like democrats who sound like Democrats and talk like Democrats and think like Democrats. That's what we have to say here at Newsbusters. So come once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>